Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheekast episode 90. So friends, we are rounding into 100 episodes of this podcast, which is insane to me in the best way possible. And I'm on with a new friend whom I actually, so you know that I pre-record, but I'm actually going to get an opportunity to meet her in like three days, which I'm really, really excited about. So I'll let you know because I think she's pretty great right now, but I'm sure I'm going to find even more things that are great about her when I see her in person. So Robin Donaldson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here. Yeah. And actually, friends, I need to make a connection because she worked really hard on her PhD. So she's actually Dr. Robin Donaldson, and that is a huge deal. So let's remember that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I'm still paying off student loans. That's so right. That I am Dr. Donaldson. <laughs> exactly. So Robin, um, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, in your own words. Awesome. Um, well, I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm not currently practicing as I have been focusing on Solace Club, a care package company designed for those in grief. Uh, I did earn my PhD from the um, uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, um, and that was back in 2011. Uh, I am a widow of four years this past Sunday, mm. and I'm trying to think of any, oh, and of course, I uh, am working on completing my uh, yoga instructor training so that I can be 200 hours certified. That's awesome. That is so cool. Um, and I'm sorry that you just celebrated the anniversary of such a significant loss. Thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So I wanted to have you all um, listen to Robin's story um, for a few different reasons, and we'll kind of jump into it. Um, I have been doing some of my own work around grief, and I was actually advised by my grief counselor to read a book. And one of the things that struck me, and I will include the name of the book because it's not readily available. It's purple. That <laughs> um, One of the things that struck me is that there's so many myths around grief. So uh, Robin, do you mind just kind of clarifying and defining what grief actually is? Sure. Um, grief covers a variety of emotional states related to the loss of something. Now, typically when we discuss grief, we are talking about the loss of life. Um, so a loved one or uh, can even be a celebrity that has died uh, and that we're in some sort of state of mourning and or bereavement. A lot of different terms uh, sure. to cover the same thing, but you can also grieve uh, uh, when you get divorced, you can grieve the loss of a job. So, so grief is, is part of the human condition, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned kind of different stages of life or the loss of a job and or even people who have made a decision to end their marriage. And it even maybe was their decision to end the marriage and they can still go through the grieving pro or begin the grieving process. Absolutely. Um, 
So I wanted to ask you, um, oh, and then I also appreciate you mentioning that because it gives license to people. Like there's nothing too small. Right. Right. To grieve. Um, so what are some of the things and how did you come to, you know, when you lost your husband, what was the process like for you, I guess? And what did you run into in terms of maybe people meaning well that wasn't really, you know, maybe things that were said or done that weren't perhaps as helpful as maybe people think and not to target anyone. This is an opportunity for all of us to learn and grow. Um, but what was your process like? Hmm. It's a very large question. It is. Uh, covering quite a bit. So, so the process of my grief, you know, one of the, the neat things, I guess it's neat about being a psychologist is uh, whatever emotional reaction you personally have, there's still that psychologist part of your brain going, well, this is fascinating. I remember in grad school, we learned about this, or, you know, this is how I've read and have heard from my, my patients and my clients about their experience. Um, so, so one of the, the aspects that I, I found, um, when I was going through grief was, uh, the amount of trauma and symptoms of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder that came up for me. And part of that was because prior to my husband's motorcycle accident, I had been in a car accident myself. Hmm. And of course it wasn't as, as severe as his, um, it made driving afterwards and being in cars challenging. And so, you know, I remember having panic attacks and, uh, luckily I had the tools necessary to, to help calm myself down. Um, but those, uh, that was something that that surprised me that I had not expected in the the grieving process and the more that I have spoken with other folks it seems that uh, grief and losing somebody that you love is a form of trauma and so that letting that sink in really helped me in in being more accepting of the symptoms that I did have because it didn't fit the oh this is the idea of what it looks like to grieve guess what anxiety is a huge part of grieving that a lot of people don't don't really mention um so so definitely i remember a lot of the anxiety um people trying to be helpful that weren't incredibly helpful. Uh, you know, sometimes it was in the, the early days of what people would say, or they would tell me that he's in a better place. They would tell me that things happen for a reason. Um, so some of these pieces, I'm not a, a very religious person. I'm a spiritual person, um, but people would talk to me about their own religious beliefs um, and project them onto me. And that, that wasn't very comforting. However, I recognized that they were trying. And so I tried to, to simply take their, their intent and their gesture. Um, I did have somebody um, encourage me to start dating um, probably two to three months after my husband died. That was a little surprising to me. And again, I went back to the trying to hold on to what they were, were trying to do, which was help, even though it wasn't extremely helpful at the time. Sure. Yeah. So 
when people, I mean, which lends themselves or, you know, the conversation can move to how can people be more understanding and helpful when someone else is grieving? What are things that we can do? And I'm thinking this is how Solace Club came to be born or not necessarily. I see that there's a definite overlap, sure. um, but the story of Solace Club is a little bit different than my recommendations for what people can do. Okay, perfect. So let's make sense. Yes. Let's dive right in then. Excellent. Um, so, so I'll start with the story of Sal's Club because I think that that lends to where we are now and in trying to help grief supporters, as we like to call them. Sure. Um, uh, one of the things that I noticed after my husband died is that there was a lot of focus, a lot of intensity around scheduling the funeral, taking care of what I like to call the business of death. Um, however, after that, people got on airplanes and went home and I was left to put my life back together um, and to do that the best way that I, I could. And I did have a, a tight circle of friends and family that were still there supporting, but even they had lives and sure. weren't always available, of course. Uh, I, I think that I was very lucky and I had more support than, than others typically do. Um, however, it felt as though the onus was really on me to let other people know what I needed and when I needed it. And I, I really felt like that was an extra challenge for me during grief um, because I think I'm similar to many other people in that asking for help is difficult and asking for help at a time when you don't know what you need is especially, especially tough um, in being able to cope and being able to start that healing process. So it was around Christmas time, right after Christmas, and I was on a, a trip um, with my current partner. And it was during that trip that we found out that her father had died, um, which was pretty strange of a timing piece. Um, so we, we definitely needed a redo for, for that vacation. Uh, as we were talking about kind of what we were going to be flying home to and what to do next, you know, I had jokingly mentioned, you know, why don't we have Greek boxes? We have boxes for, you know, meat. We have boxes for clothes. We have boxes for, you know, everything under the sun. Uh, why can't we have something that's going to help people get through, you know, some of the most difficult times of their lives? So at that point, we're like, this is something that needs to happen. Hence the idea of, of Solace Club came into creation. Um, one of the reasons that Solace Club is such a helpful uh, gift for people in grief is that it doesn't stop with, you know, the bouquet of flowers, like what is customary. It doesn't stop with, you know, just one particular uh, remembrance of, of the person's grief. Uh, we wanted to be able to provide folks with uh, something that they could send 
every couple of months or every month for the first year, something that allows the people that may be super busy um, to still be able to remind the person grieving, hey, I care, hey, I'm here for you if you need me. Um, and then as, as a very important part of what we do with Sauce Club, um, it has to do with like the, the social media piece, the blogging, uh, providing information out there to the public of how to be better grief supporters. Uh, so for example, right now, we're getting ready for the holidays. And so um, I'm about to, to come out with grief supporter tips for the holidays, uh, because nobody teaches you about how, how to help people out with grief. And uh, our society tries to put it into a corner. Uh, and so it, it just doesn't come naturally of, well, of course, you know, so-and-so just lost somebody you know these are these are the things that we normally do we don't have a normal uh as it pertains to to grief and how to support people that's true yeah that's that's really important so because we don't have a normal i and you touched on some of this with your own story um in terms of providing kind of through your lens your perspective your own experience themes that the intent was good, mm-hmm. we're going to think the highest and best, um, and the impact was not so great on you. Mm-hmm. So couple that with some myths, because I'm sure some of, some of us have bought into certain myths, um, which lend itself or um, leads us to kind of hurt people inadvertently as they're grieving. So what are some of the biggest, maybe the top three things that, and I know that's probably way more, but um, some of the top three things that maybe as a society, we need to shift um, when it comes to thinking and talking about grief. I think that the, the, the first one has to do with the timeline uh, because there is no timeline when it comes to grief. And yet we all have this expectation that, well, you know, after the first year, they should be better. Or, uh, you know, for example, it's been four years. After four years, yes, you know, even I succumb to this myth. Oh, I, I should be a lot better this year than I have been. That's not necessarily the case. And so um, some of the ways in which this shows up that I definitely think that we need to address uh, has to do with like bereavement leave you know, three days and you should be done taking care of the business of death. Guess what? It takes a lot more than three days. Um, so, so the time limit on grief is a really, really big one. Um, similarly, this idea um, that the time uh, dovetails into a time um, heals everything or that, uh, that the pain is going to lessen, that the pain is, is going to, you know, one day you're just going to be, you know, laughing and get on with the rest of your life. Well, that's, that's not necessarily um, how, that, how that goes. I think that one of the other key ways that we need to, to really address it is this, it's, it's like a death avoidance, a death anxiety, that results in so many people avoiding uh, people in grief. Uh, the grievers become pariahs. 
in social situations or just with certain friends that don't know what to say or how to handle it and it scares them so they back off uh, and I think that overcoming that anxiety, overcoming that, that fear as it pertains to death, as well as tough emotions, not knowing what to say. Uh, so this, this leaving or isolating the person grieving is definitely, you know, the second, the second um, out of the three top things that we as a society really need to, to start focusing on um, if we want to to change how things happen. Um, and then I, I just, I think that educating society about grief would be the third one, um, just so that there isn't that excuse of, well, I didn't know what to say. Um, or being being afraid of uh, making a social or cultural faux pas. If we talked more about death, we wouldn't have this anxiety. If we if we took away the taboo, I think that it would be really a lot. Uh, it would make healing from the loss so much better when you've got your community around you. Sure. No, it's so true. I realized. One of my friends, they started a thread on their Facebook page and it was a simple question. And the question was, what would have made your grieving a little bit more tolerable? What support do you think you would have appreciated at the time? And one of the common themes, as you've mentioned, that came up was that people, well-meaning people ask the question of what do you need? And when someone's in the throes of grief and trauma and life and death, you know, it's a huge question mark. And it's not just one, it's like five to 10 question marks. Like I have no clue what I need right now. And I think sometimes that perpetuates or exacerbates the anxiety that already exists and the pain and the trauma that already exists because People feel bad when they can't give someone a straight answer. Um, not all people. Some people do not mind giving, <laughs> dodging questions, <laughs> you know. But the majority of people um, that have goodness in their heart, they do want to, I think it's part of an inherent people-pleasing that at some level many of us have. And it's like, well, I want to be able to answer Robin when she asks me a question that's super simple, right? but I don't have an answer for her. And so then I feel bad and I might feel shame about that on top of what I'm already, you know, dealing with. And so one thing that I personally have started doing, and you and I talked about this uh, last week is that I will say, if there's something concrete that comes up, you know, via text or phone or in person that, you know, Chidima, you can do this. <laughs> you let me know. However, if there's something that I think of that I know I can do that I strongly believe would be helpful, I will just do it so that you don't even have to think about it. Right. And that has been met largely positively. Um, I have yet to hear someone not be okay with that. Um, and I like that approach. And I just learned it from hearing and listening to what others have said about not knowing what they need, you know? And so, um, 
if we're willing to set aside what we think we know so that we can have a new experience and not take things personally in so far as if you are grieving, Robin, I cannot afford to take it personally if you don't respond to a text or if you don't, you know, get back to me quickly or if you need some time and you're not up for a visit or whatever the case may be, because I am not you and I do not know what right in this moment is having an impact on you. Um, you know, and just being willing to be like, okay, so I messed up. What can I do to make this better? Um, to your point, I do believe that we oftentimes like we mean well, we come out strong. And then if it doesn't go, like if it goes sideways because of something that's not even about us, sometimes we personalize it and that can create a larger divide, which is not supporting the person, you know, because then I've made it about myself and I'm like, oh, well, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want my support. And then I turn around and take my toys home from the playground, right? And I'm upset. And then you're like left holding the bag. And so I think just, you know, realizing that we're all in this together. So I have a couple of questions, Robin, for you. First one is, and I think I know the answer, but to me, it's very interesting that many of us have grieved and we still don't quite have it together, right? Like someone could have just lost someone significant in their lives or a job or a loss of relationship or even grieving the loss of what was or what could have been, I should say. Um, and we still sometimes don't get it perfect, right? Or right. Um, and then the other thing is you wrote a blog post so we can circle back to that um, about collective grief. So I wanted to tap onto that because at this recording, we have experienced the second mass shooting in, so four weeks and four days later, we experienced a second one in a different city, a different state. Um, so the first one was October 1st, 2017 um, in Las Vegas, Nevada, which many of you know, holds a special place in my heart because I lived there for 10 years um, or just under 10 years. And I knew of people and I actually felt bad myself for grieving <laughs> that experience. And I ought to know better. <laughs> and I'm using air quotes. And then four weeks, four days later, we are here again. Um, and so you had written a post, um, so there are, you know, um, victims in, in Texas, um, that have experienced the exact same thing that many of our friends and loved ones in Las Vegas, um, and many of us experienced. So before we get into collective grief, I do want to kind of hear your thoughts, musings, if you will, around, um, how interesting it is that many of us have experienced grief and still don't, or maybe we just haven't incorporated, or what do you think it is the disconnect between our own grief and someone else's grief um, in terms of support, like going from the one who's grieving, right, to being a supporter of one who's grieving and how we sometimes there is that disconnect. Gotcha. I, I think that it, a lot of it comes from the residual 
uh, impact of your own personal grief when you're trying to help somebody else. Sure. Okay. So I think that that part of the uh, the apprehension in helping or kind of how we flub it up when we're trying to be a supporter is, uh, you know, if if you're helping somebody, some, even listening to what that other person is going through with their grief can trigger some of your own things. And because folks in general are not super big fans of negative emotions, we avoid or we try to make the other person feel better as a way to also make ourselves feel better. And so I, I, I do, I think that our own experiences trip us up as, you know, we, we forget uh, sometimes what it was like as well um, to receive the information. So you can say, well, you know, I, I went through this type of loss. Like when you're trying to connect through your own grief, I went through this and, you know, and, and this, you know, I did this or I did that without remembering, wow, what was it like to hear other people's grief experiences when I was grieving? And sometimes it's a positive thing and sometimes not, but because we are trying to connect, we have those good intentions, we forget that sometimes that's not as, as helpful as we think. So it's, it's almost sure. like this amnesia of the experience of being with grief at the same time, um, sometimes avoiding uh, avoiding wanting, wanting to get that close to such pain again. That makes sense. Cause I was like, yeah, there's definitely a disconnect there. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes we forget what we've already experienced or not wanting to. And you're right. They, I, I do believe that sometimes, especially as yogis, I think this is a huge thing is like, everyone wants to be namaste and just very, you know, positive and there's definitely room for positivity and there is also room for real life you know life happening as it's happening and it's equally important to honor that so yes definitely look as positively as you can with as many things as you can and also honor where you are and if you're not feeling very positive that's okay you know it, it's totally okay um I'm just grateful that we're not all in not a good space simultaneously the exact same time because <laughs> I think that would be a challenge, but it is okay to kind of have a lower mood um, as a result of real life stuff that's happening, Absolutely. you know, that affects you. So, um, you know, which leads us to, collective grief because I thought that was a well-written piece it was interesting and it is something that we are experiencing I believe definitely after Las Vegas I mean many of us were really impacted or affected by that tragedy and then now again so can you tell us what collective grief means and what do we do about it and so uh, collective grief can mean a couple of different things um, however it addresses 
public grief in a way, um, the, the loss, uh, usually through traumatic uh, circumstances, but we can also have collective grief through celebrities that may die of natural causes. So it doesn't have to be traumatic, sure. uh, but it's where you know, the, the, a good number of people in, in, in our society experience the feelings of grief and loss when um, somebody or multiple people die. However, just as I had said with the individual, it can also be uh, grieving the, the loss of hope um, if something happens, um, not to get political, but during the election, a lot of people experience grief and that can be considered a collective grief by definition. So I'm gonna pause you there. It's okay to get political. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who listens to this podcast knows I was grieving after the election. I won't speak for anyone else, but I, Steve Ozor, was grieving. Fair so, enough. I, I yeah. appreciate the clarification. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, sometimes people will, I've had guests say, okay, I'll try not to say the F word too much. And I'm like, listen, I don't censor people here. If I need to clarify um, at the start of the episode that there's adult, adult content on here, I definitely will. So yeah, um, so yeah, no, that's good to that's good to know about the collective grief and kind of the different meanings of that. And and you're right. So and to me, that does bring a level of hope, though, because to do something together. Mm -hmm. seems to encourage community and support. And that's one of the things that I noticed, um, even being so far, I mean, I'm 2000 miles away now from Las Vegas and wanting to feel like you were doing something to be helpful to the collective mm -hmm. was incredibly important. And so thankfully I did find a way to do that. And people that were there on the ground also, many people found a way to, you know, reel in this hope or kind of um, empower one another to do things that would be for the benefit of the good, the common good, you know, whether it's donating blood and waiting in line for hours to do that, bringing supplies to people waiting in line to donate blood or first responders and prayer chains or good vibe chain like so many different things that people you know a lot of there was a healing project that I led um, to provide people with um, resources just in their own home in terms of you know yoga or trauma-informed yoga or Reiki or meditation all of these things that can be helpful that people can do at their own pace you know, in their own home and not have to add too much more to their, their plate, which is what it sounds like. Solace Club, the monthly boxes are there to support someone that is grieving that won't add to, you know, in a burdensome, burdensome way um, to what their experience. So awesome. So I think, friends, we said that at the top of our Actually, during our pre-call, I said kind of a time, but we've gone over that because this is such an important topic, and it's really one that touches us all. If you're breathing, I'm thinking at this point, 
unless you're a wee little person, you have experienced some sort of grief. And so it's really important for us to remember, you know, and be gentle with yourselves and get connected with a professional um, should you need that additional support. Um, there is no stigma around that. I mean, sadly, there is stigma around that, and we want to destigmatize that. So that's why Robin and other people like her um, do what they do and are honest about their own experiences and transparent and authentic and vulnerable so that you know that it's okay. Whatever you're going through right now, it is okay, and you have support. So Robin, a couple of things um, before we close. If someone, besides purchasing a Solace Club box, whether monthly for a year or periodically or quarterly, how does Solace Club accept donations? Do you all accept donations if someone has heavy pockets and they want to unload some of that money to you all because they appreciate what you're doing? So is there a means to do that? Have you all thought of that yet? We have not thought of that. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we don't have anything set up necessarily okay. for that. Uh, one of the, the biggest ways in which folks can support us right now is by getting the word out and letting folks know that we, we are doing what we are doing and um, that folks in grief may find us to be very, very helpful. Cool. Awesome. And then the other thing, friends, is if you don't have a need necessarily right now, if you, I'm sure you could get together with Robin um, and on the website, the website is solaceclub.org or is it yeah. .com? Yeah. .com. Okay. So www.solaceclub.com. Um, and if you feel inclined I'm sure they would appreciate if you got a box, even if it's not going to someone that you need it to go to, that you can pay it forward to someone else. So we can always get creative and being helpful to one another. That is not a problem. And I'm sure that if you wrote a check to Solace Club, they would take your check and cash it. So that's an option too. So just, you know, definitely spread the word about what they do, their blog posts on there. There are plenty of other resources, which is really important. There was a piece that I actually shared on my personal Facebook page um, and tag Robin and Solace Club on kind of um, a person that is much wiser than myself about their own experience with loss. And they likened it to um, scars on the body. And so it was a really beautiful depiction, a beautiful picture of what that looks like and it did definitely normalize it and it just was a, a new perspective one that I hadn't personally um, considered before so there are so many different resources that are available and so I would encourage you to definitely look up solaceclub.com and see what can be helpful to yourself and what can be helpful to any of your loved ones or your larger community so is there anything else, Dr. Robin, that we should know or anything that you feel compelled to share with listeners? Um, one thing that came to me as you were talking, uh, I think that it's also good to remember that those of us that have huge hearts and are also suffering through collective grief, 
that as we give of our time and our energy to make sure that we replenish that uh, because supporters need to take care of themselves and they need their own support. And so I definitely encourage self-care for, for all of us that are, are helping to make the world a better place. Totally. I'm glad you brought that up. What do you do to self-care? That's my last question for you. Besides yoga? <laughs> you knew I was going to say that one. Totally. Oh, um, I do therapeutic baking. Oh, nice. Uh, especially with pumpkins. I'm a huge pumpkin fan. So now, now is my season for great self-care. Um, I, I take hot baths. Um, I, I love that piece. Spending time with family and friends. That's a big one. Live music is another one. Any music is, mm -hmm. is a thing to me. So those would be my major ways of engaging in self-care and petting my kittens. They're not really kittens, but they're, they will always be my kittens. I love that. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on. I've so appreciated learning from you and the time that you've spent with myself and those that are listening. Of course. All right. So a couple of stories. Um, from Humans of New York, and it appears to be a gentleman. Um, I had an awakening on a balcony in Seattle. I was listening to soul music on my Walkman, and I was paying attention to the music, and suddenly I realized that I was the attention my it, Suddenly I realized that I was the attention itself. I realize that I'm not my mind. I'm the awareness of my mind. We're all just drops of consciousness. And if you get to the point where you can turn around and see your drop, you'll discover that it's connected to an ocean of consciousness. And then you'll be illuminated. I don't care if anyone believes me. I'm not trying to convert anyone. There's nothing to convert because everyone is exactly where they're supposed to be right now. And then there is a couple... Um, let's see. And it says, we met five years ago in the comment section of our WordPress blogs. Let me do this. Uh, WordPress, WordPress blogs. I was living in the Philippines. I randomly discovered his blog and commented on a post about how much he can eat in one sitting. Then it became one ongoing conversation for three years. We began our relationship on August 24th, 2013, when I wrote, I love you in an email. We talked every day, but we didn't even meet in person until, you, until two years later when he came to visit me in the Philippines. He proposed the very, the very first day. We stopped working on our old blogs and created one together called Two Bees in a Blog. That's really sweet. Cute, yeah. Right? So cute. Yeah. All right. Love those stories. Me too. Me too. So friends, thank you so much for your love and support. I really appreciate it. Um, I am so grateful to have you all in my life. Let me know what you need and definitely share this podcast with others, share this episode, subscribe, rate, review, and let's see. All right. 
I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in me, no, when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. So have a gratitude-filled day. My name is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Chicas episode 90. Namaste. Namaste.